message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Everybody, can we give the Lord a hand clap because we need to give Him more praise. I don't know if you, if you know, but He says that He inhabits the praise of His people, so when you you want to meet God, you want to spend time with God, you need his presence, and we all do. Uh, what you got to do, even though you don't feel like it, is you praise him, and he inhabits the praises of his people. And, uh, you know, it was really cool. I, I talked about something a, a week or so ago about um, an experience I had to go up on the mountain and um, just kind of seek God, and my son wanted to come along, and I, and I said, sure, come on, and, and we were just, it, was, it was a time to kind of fast and seek God and just bring a Bible and some paper and just seek him. And, and so he kept asking me questions. So exactly what are we doing and exactly what's going to happen? And so it ended up being a discipleship time more than me meeting with God. Does that make sense? But sometimes you got to take one for the team because there's a bigger purpose at play. Do you guys ever see that? Um, and so what was epic about this is, is I went up there with my son and, and uh, God met me, but God met him. And watching God meet him was monumental. It was profound. Watching what God did in my son's life, I'll never forget it and neither will he. And, and I just want to tell you, that's the way the kingdom works, is helping other people. When Jesus said, make disciples, that's exactly what he's talking about. It doesn't matter how far along you are, it's just simply take somebody with you, amen? And what I heard after that, I know Bill was telling me, that was really cool what you said. He goes, I'm taking my son today after church. And he went up and took his, and then later on that evening, Christy says, I'm taking my daughter, our two daughters. I'm going to take them to the top of her seat. And so they went up there and had moments. So hopefully that replicates, but I just want to encourage you, when you stop and take someone with you on the journey, this journey wasn't meant to be done alone. Do you know that? It wasn't meant to be done alone. It was meant that we take, take somebody with us. Jesus said, go make disciples. And that doesn't mean you got to be some crazy good Bible student or anything. It simply means as you walk with Jesus, grab someone's hand and say, I don't have it all down, but he does. Walk with me this way. And that's where the journey begins, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, well, today we're jumping in, and we're finishing our hashtag goals series that we've been going through. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I have. And we're looking at a lot of things. We've covered a lot of things. We, we learned that it's not a question of whether God has plans for you. He already does, Scripture's clear. It's not a question of whether he does. It's simply a matter of whether we're ready to discover them and whether we're ready to step out in faith with them. Uh, we covered a whole bunch of Scriptures on that he does have plans and things and ordained and they're good for us. And it's just a matter of us connecting with God and begin this process of discovery on what is this thing he has for us because you were wonderfully and fearfully made and God has unique things for you. And so as we're, we're going through uh, this, we're going we're gonna to look at where vision, where goals begin today. And um, many people in life, where they begin with their goal is they, they aim at a dream. They aim at a dream. They have this dream or this hope or something. Maybe it's something they learned from somebody or read in a magazine or heard on TV, but they're aiming at something, many people in life, and they strive really hard to get there. And I just want to be clear, the the Bible says, God says, he sees us striving sometimes. Um, God sees us striving, and he says, cease striving and know that I am God. Um, there's this beautiful balance of working, we reap what we sow, so we do work, yet at the same time, we don't strive. Uh, and, and many people go through life just striving and striving, and the Lord's like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to strive, cease striving and know that I'm God. And we're going to look at today about where your power comes from and how you take the next step getting to your goal. And it will take some work, but it will not be striving. And God has some things laid out uh, right in front of us. This is an area that uh, believers have wrestled with for a long time. Uh, believers for a long time, going all the way back to Israel's foundations, uh, has struggled with what is work and what is striving and what's my part and what's God's part and how hard do I have to work and what do I have to do to make it happen? And there's a tension in scripture with this over the topic of works. What do I have to do to work it out, to get it done, to get to the goal that I'm aiming at? And so we're going to look at that. And uh, we're looking at two passages, but the first one I want to share with you is in Ephesians chapter two. If you have your Bible, you can open there. Uh, it's a profound scripture. It summarizes so much about our faith uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and um, we're looking at a section of this, and um, 
the understanding here in this scripture, if you, if you read what comes before it, I just want to summarize it, is that we could never work our way to God. Uh, Israel tried for many years, tried to live right, be more righteous, try to do things to get rid of sin, but their sin would come back in this ongoing cycle of trying but not quite getting there and not quite being good enough. And there was a separation between God and man. And, and that we see that through the entire Old Testament narrative. They're trying so hard to work their way. And sometimes you have to realize that your work just isn't working. Have you ever noticed that? What you're doing just isn't working. Well, Israel's getting to this point. It's not working. And then, and then Jesus shows up and God made a way for us where he removed all the sin through Jesus, what he did on the cross. He gave us relation back with the Father, so we're restored in relationship with God. And he did something for our future and our eternity that we can never do for ourselves. And it has nothing to do with our work and everything to do with his work. And it was a complete game changer when it came to the topic, I believe, of work and what you and I do regarding work versus striving. And this matters a lot if you have goals in your life. Um, and so well, let's look at this uh, passage because it not only tells us about where work and striving fit together, it also tells us a lot about our very purpose. Our very purpose, your purpose and my purpose are outlined in the scripture right here. And it's a pretty powerful thing. So when you're thinking about goals in your life, I think you can't ignore something like this that is so powerful and helpful uh, for the life of a believer. And it's Ephesians 2. We're looking at verses 8 through 10. And we have them for the screen or you can use your device, uh, your phone or your, as a Bible in the seat in front of you. And it says this, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, <clears throat> this is amazing. This is telling us a lot of things here. I just want to unpack it here. The assumption, he's writing to the church of Ephesus, they're believers in this place of Ephesus, modern Turkey. He's writing to believers, and the assumption, the assumption is that this group of people already accepted Christ. Uh, that's an important assumption because God's number one goal for your life and in my life is to accept Christ, not just to believe, but to follow. Are you guys good with that, uh, on that number one goal? That number one goal, God's goal for everyone on planet Earth is to receive my son. My, I sent my son for you personally receive him. That's where life begins. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Paid a price we couldn't pray. It begins through Jesus. So the understanding is that this crowd listening to this in Ephesus already gets this, that Jesus is the number one goal. And it reminds us here that we can't work for our salvation. It's a completely free gift. Um, and it reminds us that the way we used to live compared to the way we live now is different. He's talking about Israel understood the, the thing about working their way to God and the way they tried so hard and that's the way they lived. And now he's talking about the way we live now because God did something we can't do for ourselves and it changes what we do and how we do it. And it says something really cool here about you and I, because what Jesus did for us and did this free gift of grace, it says right now, it's, it says, now you are God's handiwork. Say handiwork. Take a look at those hands in front of you. Take a look at those hands. Now those hands, take a close look. You got these fingerprints on here and different lines in your hands. And what's amazing is that fingerprint you have, although it may look a little similar to to uh, the person sitting next to you, there are six billion people on this planet and no one on the planet has your fingerprint. And that's because God says that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And you have to know that, you have to believe that. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. This is not happenstance, this is not random, this is just not freak of nature, this is sovereign design. And that you have this unique fingerprint as an indication to you for you to know that God says you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And, and that matters a lot because this is also saying that you are God's handiwork. Handiwork. Handiwork isn't a term we use all the time, but that's how the NIV um, translates the word. Some, uh, the Greek word is actually poema. You are God's poema. It's where we get our term poem from. Uh, but you are God's poema, and some translations translate this word accurately and fairly, that you're God's, you're God's handiwork, you're God's uh, workmanship, you're his masterpiece. Basically, what it's saying is God is showing off his display. God is showing off his display through you. 
you are God's handiwork. That's a pretty, pretty broad statement, but this is what Scripture's saying about, about you and I. Look at it this way. Um, almost imagine like a flower, and you look at a flower, and you go, wow, that flower's amazing. It looks beautiful. It smells beautiful. It's awesome. However, when you begin to put all the flowers together, you have a bouquet, and that is even more awesome, right? And then if any of you are into the Rose Bowl, you see them put them all together, and you see a whole float, and you're like, that is crazy awesome, right? So they, they build layers of this, and that's what this is saying, that you you are God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece. You're his poema. And, um, it, and, it, and it goes on to elaborate on this. It says, listen, it says, you were created. You were created. You might want to underline this in your Bible because a lot of believers don't really, I don't think, believe this verse or understand this verse or practice this verse. It says we're saved by grace. It's not by works. Jesus did it. We can't boast. You are God's handiwork, and here's what you were made for. We're talking about goals, and the Bible's telling us what we were made for, and it says this, you were created in Christ Jesus, it says, verse 10, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works. Um, This is interesting. Why does it say that? Because when you and I do good works, we become part of that masterpiece, when you and I check out and just we're off solo and we're doing our own thing or we're not doing anything at all, we're not part of a display. We're not part of a masterpiece. But this is saying that you, the church, the people, the believers, the family, that you are God's masterpiece and you were created, this is saying, uh, to, do, to do good works. Basically, it's saying when people see you, they see what God is doing. Think about this. If people did not represent Jesus, how much God would people see in the world today? Think about this for a moment. They would see God in nature and say, wow, that's beautiful. But would they see God's hands if they didn't see believers carrying out things with God's hands? Um, After World War II, there was a place in Europe that had gotten bombed severely. It was a church. And um, after it had got bombed, everything was ruined. Everything was in rubble. And uh, you couldn't tell anything from anything. It was just rubble. But uh, after they were clearing everything out, they noticed a, a statue of Jesus had fallen down, and they picked it up, and it was in perfect shape, even though everything was wrecked. It was in perfect shape. The only thing wrong, the only thing missing was the hands were broken off. The hands were broken off. It was a very old statue. It was a work of art. So they had a famous... Uh, a craftsman come and say, you know what, I, I really feel for your church. I know you're going to rebuild this church, and I see this statue, and, and, and this guy's like the best in the land. And he says, I want to come, and I want to put hands. I want to put hands back on your Jesus. And they thought about it a little bit, and they said, you know what, thank you, but, but no thank you. You see, when we see the statue of Jesus with no hands, it reminds us that we actually are his hands. So we don't want you to put hands back on our Jesus. And and think about that. When people share the love of God with you in your life, oftentimes the only way we see God's love in so many ways is through our acts of service. It's through our work so many times. Think of how you were loved in your life and God showed you his love. It's often through a provision or a blessing or an opportunity of other other people. And this is what it's saying. That's why we're we're God's workmanship. And that's why it says we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works Because as you are in Christ, Christ is in you, and the display of Christ begins to come out of you. And that's what workmanship is all about. And this matters a lot. Um, It says that God prepared these works in advance for us to do. This is wild, guys. That God literally has good works, good deeds, actions, specific things for you, and he planned them way in advance. So, so we looked at this a little while ago when we looked at, um, we looked at Psalm 139 and, and that we were created in our mother's womb and before one of our days came to be that God had things ordained for us. We look at that. And now this passage is kind of another bookend of the same thought here in the New Testament writing to the church who's saved by grace through faith, not by works, but you're created for good works. And by the way, these good works, God prepared them way in advance to do. Why are we talking about this when we're talking about hashtag goals? Because if our goals don't honor God, they're not goals at all, right? If our goals don't include God and honor God who made us, who created us, who has plans for us, then we're kind of off on our own thing. And this is saying that you were created for good works and God had prepared these way, way in advance for us to do. This is absolutely amazing. 
So we're going to unpack this a little more, and I think you're going to see the, the clarity, but I believe that when you and I begin to discover what these works are, and you and I begin to step out in faith to what these works are, that is when you and I begin to walk out our destiny. According to God, if God has good works established for you before the foundations of the world, going way, way back, if God does, and Scripture says He does, that it's not a matter of if He does, He does. But when you and I begin to the discovery and walking them out in faith, that's when you and I begin to walk in destiny. I really believe that. I believe this is when God begins to raise people up. I think some people are focused on the Grammy or they're focused on the Oscar or they're focused on the CEO and God's like, that's not the focus. The focus is to do what I made you for and however, if you're faithful with little things, I'm gonna let you be faithful with greater things. If we humble ourselves in his sight, he lifts us up, right? And so there's a lot of sequence of scripture that says God elevates and God promotes that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts that are completely his so he can strongly support them. And you and I want the support of God. You and I need the support of God. And he tells us the pathway. So when you're thinking of hashtag goals in your life, I really believe it begins this simply. Write this one down really quick because this is a, a doctrinal truth. It's, a, it's an important um, you know, foundational reality to, for your understanding of God and your, your understanding of Scripture. The first one is this, guys, just to take home, kind of weigh it out, work through it, but understand that I, I wasn't saved by works, but I was saved to do good works. This is Scripture. You were created. We're not saved by works, it says. We're saved by grace, not by works, so no one can boast. We're not saved by works. No one can work their way to God. Nobody. You can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. It doesn't work that way in God's economy. He never set it up that way. Israel tried to live righteous, to do the things, to kind of follow the law and not mess up, and they lived that way. You don't have to. Jesus did a price, paid a price you could never pay. And however, this is telling us that you are not saved by works, you're saved by grace. So I and you are not saved by works, but listen, it says in the same breath, in the same context, in the same sentence coming out of Paul's mouth to the church, understand this, you cannot work for it, but you were created for good works in the same breath. You can't work a thing to get your way closer to God. There is nothing you can do to work your way closer to God. Jesus removed a barrier. You have intimacy with God. Commune with him, meet with him. Pray, get in the word, worship, commune, and meet with God. God, Jesus did something that you can't do. So you don't work your way to God. However, however, in the same breath, he's trying to get the church to understand you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And God had these figured out way back then. So when you're thinking hashtag goals, start with what you were made for. And a lot of people, even believers, want to skip that because they have a plan somewhere out there. And they're aiming at this thing. And it's not bad to have goals and plans that, but they're aiming at something. And God's saying, I made you for good works. That's what you were created for. You got to start there. So write that one down. I wasn't saved by works, but I was saved to do good works. And this is where your road to discovery begins. This is where my road to discovery begins. As God begins to unfold things, when you start with the good works, and we're going to see how, where do I find them? What am I supposed to do? Which ones am I supposed to do? I don't really know. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. This is what it says in James 2.17. I love this passage. Uh, And this is written by James, and the context is this, because context is always key. James is living in a time where people used to be under the Jewish law, and now they're under grace, and say, hey, I don't have to do anything ever because Jesus paid the way for me, so I'm not doing anything ever. I'm just going to have faith. And James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, according to church history, um, he ends up saying, you guys don't understand what faith and what works are about. And so he, and you can read this in James chapter 2, spend more time there later on if you would like, but this is what he says uh, to people who think that way, to believers who think that way. Um, He said in the same way, he said, faith by itself is not accomplished by action. If it's not accomplished by action, it's dead. He's saying faith without having any kind of work in our life is dead because faith is only faith when it acts. Faith isn't faith when it's on the inside. 
Faith, faith, faith is faith when you, when you act on it. If you believed Jesus is who he says he is, then you know in response you have to turn and follow. That's faith. You can believe the idea, the premise, the concept that Jesus came and that you're supposed to repent and turn, but, but if you don't actually act on it, then you never really followed through in faith. So faith, by definition, acts, and James is talking to the church here who's really starting to miss out on this whole concept and, and really just kind of abusing faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. However, the church was abusing faith, and this is what he says. He said, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accomplished by action, is dead. This is what the Living Translation says of the same verse. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, some of you thought, might have jumped a little bit going, wait, is he talking about works, that I work my way to God? No, James is not saying you work your way to God. He's simply saying if you have faith, then if you really have faith, then you really have works. And he's saying, if you say you have faith and you don't have works, then you really don't have any kind of faith. And this is what Paul is saying, uh, James is saying. I know it's kind of, for some of you, you totally get that. You're like, yep, that makes sense, I get it. And some of you are like, I don't really like that because I just want the faith only thing and I don't want any works as part of my life. And I'm just saying, that's a struggle you gotta come to terms with because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You gotta come to terms with that. You gotta understand, this is where the journey begins, the road to discovery, the road to destiny according to God, begins with the things that you were created for, and you were created in Christ Jesus for, for, for good works. So maybe you're here today, and you're, you're willing to go down this road of discovery, but you don't exactly know what to do. Uh, you're, you're open to the process. If God has a process, you're open, but you don't exactly know, what does that mean? I mean, what, what do I actually do? Uh, you know, if God has these goals, then then what is the pathway or is there a pathway? And that is a great, great place to be. And we're gonna look at that today. How many of you guys in the church, the church is going through a Bible reading plan today. How many of you guys are reading along with us through the Bible? Hey, can, give them a round of applause. Come on. That's awesome. Come on. That's awesome. This is a commitment. We're, we're on this thing together as a family. We're committing to reading God's word. It's in the church app. You just click it every day. It was, it was getting glitchy for a while, but I think we got it figured out. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, it's populating now, and hopefully it's fixed. So you just click on it, and you listen to it, and you read it. Uh, if you're driving and you don't have time, listen to it. Just listen to Let God's Word wash over you. And what I've done sometimes on a busy morning, I've played it back, and then when I got back to the office, I flipped it over. I got to underline these three or four things that were like really jumped out. That I, I, you know, I read it before, but I didn't, I didn't really hear that that way. And I go back, and I I underline it. So I want to encourage you, just follow along with us. But there's something beautiful about the church together being in the Word and kind of consuming Scripture at this level. It's profound. I believe it's going to change your life this year. I really do. The way you think, the way you act, the way you make decisions will be different because the Word of God is being poured in you and it's going to come out of you. You're going to be blessed for it. So thanks for doing that. If you haven't already, just jump in and start following along. It's no big deal. Just jump in. And uh, we're in, um, if you read this week, you guys realize we're in Exodus. And I want to cover a story that was in Exodus that you read uh, that, that we need to look at as an as a, uh, illustration today. It's an important one. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, if you guys want to turn there. And uh, what's, what's cool about this, this is when God called Moses into service. The same was true with Moses. I got, you were created for these things, Moses, but I want to call you first into service. I want you to get this. I want you to understand I have something for you to do. Moses, I have destiny for you, but I want you to step into the destiny, and it's going to start with doing something first. I know you believe, Moses, but it's going to start with doing something. And, And what's amazing about this is the way Moses was called into service is, is kind of the same way that you and I get called into service. And there's a lot of similarities with what Moses went through and struggled with and what you and I go through and struggle with. And so we're gonna look at this uh, together. Uh, the background, as you know, Moses was born in Egypt uh, in captivity. Um, the Egyptians were killing the young Hebrew babies. They sent Moses down the river in a little basket and uh, Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and is like, oh, great, can I keep the baby? I want it, I want it, I want it. And of course, you know, if you love your daughter, you go, okay, you can have it. Um, so, um, <laughs> but the bottom line is um, 
you know, so she raises uh, Moses, and Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. And by the way, there is tennis in the Bible, and some of you guys don't know that. There's tennis in the Bible. Moses served in Pharaoh's court. Some of you will get that later. But <laughs> come on. Um, but there's not football in the Bible. That's, I got a problem with that. There's baseballs in the Bible. In the big inning. In the big inning, right? Surfing is in the Bible. It says in the book of Acts that they all grabbed their boards and paddled ashore. Okay? So there's stuff's in it. But football's not in the Bible. But I don't know. Um, Maybe it's in heaven, we'll see. But all that to say is, uh, so Moses, Moses served in Pharaoh's court and he killed this Egyptian one day because this Egyptian was beaten up on the Hebrews and he thought that's wrong. But then what he did is he fled. Scripture doesn't say, God said to Moses, leave this land. Moses just felt, uh-oh, I think I'm busted, I better get out of here. So Moses takes off. God has him raised in Egypt God even has them raised in Pharaoh's household, which is like pretty elite place to be raised. And yet because of this situation, he personally thinks, I better get out of here. And so he ran away from his people. He ran away from everything he knew. And he ran to the outside of the back of a mountain somewhere in the desert. And we find that he's living out there for 40 long years away from God's people, away from his family, away from everything. He's out there for 40 years. And, and I would just say, to you guys today that some people, um, they miss out on their calling from God uh, because they're living their life in the mode of reaction. Uh, Their their life is being lived out as a reaction. Uh, They went through things before, maybe not good things, bad things, and as a result, they don't act, but they react because of what they went through. And Moses is in reaction mode. I don't like what's there. I'm running away as far as I can from it. And some people do this. They don't maybe mean to do it, but this is what our nature does sometimes. Get as far away from that mess and that pain as I can. And in reaction mode, I would just encourage, there's really not goals, there's not a future in running from things. We see Peter did the same thing in scripture. Peter went through some tough times. He said, that's it. And he ran away. He got as far away from Galilee, uh, from from Jerusalem and, and the people as he could. He went up to to his old job and started fishing again. And, and so we see people go through painful things and run away in reaction. And, and, and God doesn't bless that reactionary place. He calls us into action by faith. He calls us into a renewed lifestyle with calling and goals. And a lot of people, though, will do this. And Moses did the same thing. So he's out living for 40 years away from God's people, away from his family, away from Pharaoh's household. And he's living on the back of a mountain somewhere, and it says this in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush, and Moses saw that, through the bu- that the bu- though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange thing, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Termites, uh, the Jebusites, (laughs) and now, and now, Uh, The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way. The Egyptians are oppressing them. So, so now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wow, finally, this moment in time. You know, you're praying, you're asking, and God just comes suddenly, boom, and comes into the scene. And that's kind of the way it goes with God's intervention. You're waiting and wonder, and bam, God just shows up and, and shifts everything. And that's what's going on right here. Moses encounters God personally in his life. 
for the very first time. We don't see anything else recorded in Scripture where he has an encounter with God. According to Scripture, at least from what we see in the, in the Bible, this is his first, first encounter with God. And uh, God has his full attention, and God, with his full attention, calls him into service. God calls him into service when he has this encounter. And, and we think that this would be awesome to have this encounter with God and get called into service. Uh, we think we would love it, but I would suggest to you um, that we tend to do what Moses did. And what we're going to see Moses do when you have an encounter with God and God calls you into service, you and I think that's epic, that's awesome, I would love that, I can't wait for that to happen. I think we tend to do what Moses did. And what Moses does is comes up with a whole lot of excuses on why he's the wrong guy. And you gotta come to terms with this because you might be coming to excuses in your own life on why you're the wrong guy. If God's trying to call you into his work, God is calling you into this masterpiece display. God's calling you into what he's doing. See, he's not asking you to do something on your own. God's calling you into something that he is doing. And we come up with these excuses And we start looking at ourselves and why we're not the person. And Moses comes up with a whole bunch of them here. So after 40 years in the desert, God calls him. And it says this in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you uh, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, uh, the God of your father sent me, and they ask me, well, what's his name? Uh, Then what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I want to stop right there. So Moses starts this encounter with God, first encounter with God. He's blown away. He's encountered with God. God's like, Moses I got a job for you. And the first thing Moses comes up with is a bunch of excuses. And I just think that's our human nature. I don't care what God has for you, good, bad, ugly, big, small, little, whatever, humble. We come up with excuses on why God has the wrong person. There's a famous evangelist. His name is Reinhard Bonnke. He's written many great books. He's done profound evangelism to millions of people through third world countries, specifically in Asia and in Africa and in India. And um, he said one day, he was a pastor here, uh, he was a pastor uh, in Europe, and he got the call of God like this, and he, 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 God made it so clear. He's like, I want you to leave the church, leave everything you do, and I want you to go to a people you've never seen that don't understand you, and I want you to begin to preach. Uh, and he's like, well, well God, well, why me? And uh, comes up with all this other stuff, and he finally says, God, I'll do it, but why are you picking me first? And the God, said, God said to him, he said very clearly, I'm not picking you first. You're third. The other two said no. You might be the same and I might be the same as that too. If God is calling us into a work, we want to partner with God in that work. We don't want to come up with excuses, but that's what we do. And Moses got an excuse here and he starts with these excuses and this first excuse is, well, well who am I? Who am I? If you remember... Um, Uh, the story in the Bible, there's a lot of people saying, well, who am I and what what am I supposed to do? The story of Gideon is like, you got the wrong guy. I'm the littlest dude in the littlest family of the littlest tribe. You definitely got the wrong guy. And so people have been making excuses for years as God calls them to service. I know when I felt God's call on my life, I had some excuses too. Maybe you did as well. I made excuses on why I'm not the guy or if I do it, I'll do it this way but not that way because God is calling us into something and sometimes we come up with our own restraints and limitations. His first excuse is, who am I? He's saying, God, I am not the right guy. And ladies, you might be saying, God, I am not the right girl. I hear you, but I'm not the one. And God's saying something different. God is saying, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. God's saying, it's not about who you are, it's about whose you are. Because when you're a child of the living God, you go with his promises, you go with his power, you go with his authority. If he's the one sending you, you go with his authority. If you tried going over to, say, France right now and talking to the government, they would not listen to you at all. However, if you went over as an ambassador of the U.S., they would open the door and lay out the carpet and put out a meal to you and listen to everything you said. Why? Because you're an ambassador, and that's what you are. You're an ambassador. It's not who you are. It's whose you are. 
And, and it's not this, this, we got to get over this. Well, who am I? I'm just this, or, you know, my background, am I this, or my, he's going to go on with these. We got to get over that. If you're going to step into the hashtag goals that God has for you, it begins with these works and the service that he calls you into. And, and we got to get rid of the excuses. But the second excuse right here is, um, <clears throat> well, what if they ask me, <clears throat> excuse me, what if they ask me something I can't answer? Many people are afraid to share faith and do things like that to step out because maybe I don't have the answer. Maybe I won't know what to say. I don't want to get caught in that position. I don't want to get stuck in that place. Uh, I'm a little afraid of what that might turn out to, so therefore I'm the wrong person uh, as well for that. And, and that's the second key. What if I don't have the answer? <clears throat> what if I don't have the knowledge, the experience, the confidence? And God is basically saying, uh, you won't have all the answers, but you will have all of me. You won't have all the answers, but you will have all of me. And the main thing you need to know, and the main thing that you need to know, is the great I am is with you. Everybody say the great I am. This is, what's cool about this, here we are in Exodus chapter 3, and this is the first time in Scripture that God is revealing his name. Before it was, well, obviously it's God. Elohim, the Lord, obviously it's God, but what's, what's your name, Lord? Well, he's God, he's the Lord. Uh, well, what's his name? Well, I, I don't know, he's the God of Abraham, that God, the real God, the creator God. What's his name? Well, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, God, the Lord. What's his name? He's the Lord, he's God. Moses is like, what's your, what's your name? And God says to him, my name is, my name is Yahweh, Yahweh. I am who am. And that means I was, I will be, and will forever be. I am. See, don't talk about God just in the past and don't just talk about God in the future. He's the ever-present God. You gotta know that. And when he sends you somewhere, he goes with you. And that's what he's telling Moses. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to have excuses. I can't do that work or I can't do that thing or I can't do that deed or that task or whatever you're calling me into because, oh, I got these issues, God. God's like, listen, it's not about who you are, it's about whose you are, and you need to remember the great I am is with you. It's not a matter of what you think you know or don't know. You gotta remember the great I am is with you. And so this is amazing. So write this down. The second point this morning is, is destiny starts. I'm talking about hashtag goals this morning. Destiny starts with losing our excuses. It starts with losing our excuses. Everyone's got them. It's been said that excuses are like armpits. Everyone has one and they all stink. Okay, we got to lose excuses. The rich young ruler, oh, Jesus, you're awesome. You're the teacher. You're the master. You're the one. You're the bomb. You can bring the message. You're God. Yeah, we get it. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. Awesome, awesome. Jesus says, okay, well, this is what I want you to do. Oh, uh uh-uh. Guy's got all kinds of excuses why he can't step into what God's calling them. And people do that. I made these in my life, and maybe you made them in your life too. I remember when I felt God calling me into, like fully jump into ministry, like all the way. I, I, I had every excuse. Well, Lord, why don't I just do that uh, like on Sunday? And I'll do all these other things, and I'll, like, I'll do some evangelism maybe on a Sunday, or I'll, do a, I'll teach a Bible study. And I just felt the Lord saying, like, I'm tired of your excuses. I felt them saying, get out of the boat. I'm tired of you. For me, I don't know what they are for you, but I trust if you seek him, he'll reveal what that calling is and what the next step is. And we're going to see in this passage here, there's a really profound next step for everyone uh, in the room. And you, here's one thing you've got to understand, guys, and this comes out of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but you have to know this in your life. If you're a Christ follower, if you're dedicated to Jesus, if you believe that he paid a price for you and you don't just believe that you really are following him, you have to know this when it comes to your destiny, your future, and the process of getting there. You have to know this that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Scripture says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Tell somebody next to you, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Tell them. That means you're supposed to have weakness. You're supposed to have inabilities. You're supposed to have these things that maybe your past you seem like doesn't qualify or what you've been through doesn't qualify or you feel like your gifting isn't enough or you feel like your talent isn't enough. Yes, that's good. That's good because God's power is made perfect in weakness and God uses the simple things to confound the wise. God is always raising people up like that. That's his narrative through scripture. That's his nature to do that. <clears throat> so that's really amazing. Sometimes the first battle you have to win 
is the battle of yourself. Sometimes that battle is not from the outside, it's from on the inside, and it's our own excuses, and we're getting, we're getting in our own way of destiny, we're getting in our own way of the goals and the things God's calling us to, we got to win that battle. Um, so here's the third point this morning, uh, destiny, it isn't about us, it's about him, and we get to go along on the amazing ride. Destiny isn't about, like, if I say, well, I think I want to do this in life, and I'm just kind of making up some idea. I think I want to, you know, run some big company or whatever. I don't know if God has that for me or not, but I, that's what I want to do. Then I'm not even checking in with God, my creator, my maker, who has, who has made me for good works that he established from the, I'm not even checking in with God. And yet I want God to bless this kind of dream that I have. All I'm saying is God may very well bless dreams even beyond what you're thinking, but that's not where it begins. It doesn't begin with this goal of the Grammy or the Oscar or, or the, um, you know, the CEO. It doesn't begin there. It begins with what God places in front of you. Does that make sense? And being faithful to these things rather than something way out there somewhere that we're kind of imagining up. So destiny, it's not about us. It's about him. And we get to go along uh, for the amazing ride. I think that's amazing. And that's what God is calling Moses into. And that's what he calls us into. And then he promotes from there. He promotes our faithfulness. He promotes our humility. He opens doors that no man can shut. And he continues to, to, to graduate his people. Uh, it goes on in verse four. I want to jump to verse four, verse one, out of respect for time, because Moses is full of excuses. Full of excuses. Moses four, verse one. Moses answered, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, pick it up. Do this with it. And this is important because his third excuse is, God, they're probably not gonna listen to me and believe me anyway. Even if I do go, even if I go and do what you're telling me to do, they're probably not going to listen to me anyway. And God's like, let me deal with that. I will deal with that. You, however, you start with what's in your hand. You start with what's in your hand. And this is important because a lot of people are like, well, isn't it out there? Isn't that thing out there? What am I supposed to do? Isn't it so far out there? And God's saying, no, you're missing it. It's not so far out there. It's right in your hand. You were looking at your hands earlier. How many of you know? Look at your hands again this morning. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you know what that means in scripture? Don't worry about it being way out there somewhere, heaven, when you get there. It's at hand. You reach out and you just grab it. And everywhere Jesus went, the kingdom was at hand. Anybody just had to reach out and grab it. And everywhere you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you. Everywhere you go, you're God's workmanship. You're his poema. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good work. The kingdom is still at hand. It never stopped being at hand. The kingdom's at hand right now, today. The kingdom is at hand when you leave here. The kingdom is at hand when you're around family, friends, and coworkers, neighbors. The kingdom of God is still at hand. If we get rid of our excuses, God is telling him, don't worry about that stuff. What's in your hand right now? What's in your hand? I would encourage the same is true with us. It often begins with what's in your hand. One thing you have in, the hand, in your hand is the kingdom of God. If you're a lover of Jesus, you already know that. That's something you have, and that's something you can walk with those feet, with these hands. You can show it. You can model it. You can love through these hands. Sometimes we can love more through these hands than we can with our words. Sometimes it's through our feet, through our actions. But the kingdom of God is at hand. But write this down. It's our fourth point this morning, because this is the same with us as it was with Moses. Destiny starts by using what's already in your hands. It starts by using what's already in your hands. So many people oftentimes think, well, if I had this and I had this and I had this, then I could do this and that might get me to here and then I would need this and this and this and they're like charting and that's not a bad idea but the point is, God's not telling Moses all that stuff. He's like, don't worry, the great I am is with you. What's in your hand? Two things you need to know. Know what's in your hand and know that the great I am is with you. If you know what's in your hand and you know the great I am is with you, then you just start walking in the direction he tells you to walk in and this is where you start to see stuff change. 
This is really, really awesome. Um, so this is symbolic. When he's talking about what's in your hand, this is symbolic, guys, of your, of, of your talents, of your talents, your gifts, your talents, your resources. We can't unpack this in detail today, but your talents are your natural talents, your natural gifts. If you don't know what they are, ask people around you. Ask your mom, dad, ask your friends, ask your neighbors, people you hang out with. What do you think my talents are? They might tell you stuff that you don't realize. Write them down. Those are your talents. Other people see stuff in us that we don't even see in ourselves. These are your talents. And then you have spiritual gifts, spiritual endowments of God's grace. Scripture lists them in Corinthians 12. Uh, They're in Romans and they're also in Ephesians, gifts that God gives to his church. They're actually all throughout the, the Bible, the gifts that he gives, spiritual endowments of his grace. These are talents. These are things you have in your hands, so to speak. These are things that God, when he wonderfully and fearfully made you, these are things that you have. And these are things that he's expecting to take what's in our hand, know that the great I am is with you, and begin taking a step. This is how he presents this. So it's natural talents, there's spiritual gifts, and also the experiences you have in your life. You've been through experiences that God can use those experiences like nobody else around you because you've been through experiences. One great experience, I talked to some friends of mine that you know, struggle with addiction, and um, I gotta tell you, they, because of their experience, are so good at the way they communicate to somebody else that when I sometimes try to talk to someone about addiction, I know like this much. But when I see somebody who's been through it and I hear them talk, I just sit back in awe. I really do. I sit back in awe and I listen because they know through experience how to find freedom. They know from experience where freedom is. I know about it, but they know it. Does that make sense? It's one thing to know about it and it's another thing to personally know it. And this is a way that God uses your experience for good works to lead others across the bridge to Jesus. I was dying too. Let me show you where freedom is. Look, that house is burning. Let me help you out. Oh, you're drowning. Let me find, let me bring you to dry ground. Let me take you're dying of stress, anxiety. Let me take you to the Prince of Peace. When, when you've done this, you can bring others to it. And so your experiences are, are one of these ways. And sometimes your resources, some people are resourced in ways that others are not. I'll give you a very simple way. Um, you know, Mike, uh, Mike and Aphrodite Smith, but Mike is the, uh, the president of the baseball league over here in Encino. Um, VCAA. So Mike, we were down there yesterday getting the fields ready for, for the season coming up. My boys play there. If any of you have kids that play baseball, it's a great place to play. Little little shout out for, for, the, for these guys. But this field is not just a baseball field. This resource is leveraged for the glory of God. We have all these visiting teams. We meet them out on the mound and we take a knee and we pray. And they're like, they never saw this anyway. They don't do it. But we, we do it like total seeker friendly, like, hey, we get everybody's in a different place. But we want to thank God for this place. We want to thank God for this field. And we want to thank God for all these young boys who God's growing up with their talents. So can we invite them into our day? They're like, yeah, sure. They never heard this in their life. And we all go out to the, to the pitcher's mound and we all take a knee and we invite God. And the parents are like, I've never seen that before. You know, and so, so there's a way to use resources for the good works God's calling you into. So they're natural talents. They're spiritual gifts. They are resources and experiences that God has given you. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift God has received, whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, God's grace comes in a variety of ways. It comes in a way, using your experience to share freedom with somebody, helping them out of addiction. It comes through the resource of a baseball field, taking a knee and getting these kids to see Jesus 101, Kingdom 101. It comes through serving in the children's ministry because let the little ones come unto me and hinder them not. It comes as serving as an usher. It comes as running sound or running video or doing things, not just in the church without, but things that have Jesus attached to it so that Jesus gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory, and that's the whole point. If these goals don't bring honor to God, then they're kind of our own things, and they're not. But, but if, we gotta remember, guys, that thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's not mine is the kingdom, is the power, and the glory. My goals cannot be for my kingdom, my power, and my glory. My goals have to be for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And so when you think about where you begin with these goals that God has for you, I really believe it begins with being faithful 
with the very things he's put in your hands. The very things he's put in your hands. This is the way the Living Translation says it. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And so I would just encourage you guys. We're going to close in prayer right now. But as we do, I just want you to just put your hands in front of you. Uh, This is a sign of surrender to God in the Bible. But I just want you to put your hands in front of you and just, again, look at them this morning. Look at them this morning. We're going to ask God to do something um, with, with us this morning. So Lord, as we close in prayer, we just want to acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Uh, We want to acknowledge that you paid a way for us that we can never pay for ourselves. Uh, we, We want to acknowledge we cannot work our way to you to be closer to you through works. Works doesn't earn our, we can't earn relationship. It's a free gift and we thank you for it. But in the same breath, now that we've received this free gift, there's an expected response and it's to know what we were made for. And you said that we're made for good works. You're, we are your workmanship. We are your handiwork. We are your poema. We are your masterpiece. We are on display for you so that when people see us, they see you. And that's through these hands right here. That's through these hearts, these minds. Uh, they're, they're, it's through acts of service that you've called us to, the things that you have ordained from the foundations of the world. So Lord, for any believer who's walking with you, the topic of serving, it's not a question as if we serve, it's just a matter of where we serve and when we serve. So I just pray everyone in this room, myself included, Lord, I just look at my hands and show me, Lord, where to use these hands. Where do I represent you? Where do I represent you, God? Where is there a vacancy? Where is there a vacuum? Where is there the absence of Jesus being represented? Whether it's in the church or outside the church, show me where the absence, the vacancy, show me how my talent, my gifts, my experience, my spiritual gifts, my resources fits, fits, and the act of service is just knocking at the door waiting for me to step out. I ask for everyone in this room, Lord God, we'd be people that step into service for you. And that as we go through this life with goals, we would put you first. And that we will watch what you will do because you, God, can open doors no man can shut. You are the one who does that. You're the one who says that if we're faithful in little things, you will let us be faithful in greater things. You are the one who says that if we humble ourselves in your sight, that you will lift us up. You are the one who said the greatest of all is the servant of all. You were the one who says that your eyes go out the whole earth looking for hearts completely yours so you can support us and come under us and do things that we can never do for ourselves. I pray, God, that we would be those kind of people this morning. Let us be your handiwork in a way that we've never even imagined before. Let us step into it and let us show, you're gonna show us profound things when we do. I just thank you for that in advance and be glorified in our life. We wanna say, Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, not ours. I know we say it, but we mean it this morning. We thank you for this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.